Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to go back and pick up on some of the things that we've talked about in the last few weeks, but go a little further. And uh, this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 6, excuse me, verse number 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I want you to focus on that last part of that phrase, the man Christ Jesus. The humanity and deity of Christ are two very important things to understand. They're very, two very important realities because Jesus, we know, was both God and man. And he wasn't, he wasn't part God and part man. He was entirely God and entirely man. You say, well, I don't know how that can be. Well, there are a lot of things about God we don't know how it be. <laughs> okay? And so... Uh, Uh, it's important as believers that we understand the deity of Christ. In fact, it's essential to our salvation. Because you see, if if Jesus isn't God, what what did Gabriel say to Mary when he appeared to Mary? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. The power of God will overshadow you and therefore, that thing, that, that one who will be born will be called the Son of God. So we know that Jesus is God. He's either God or he's not. If Jesus isn't God, then he was an ordinary man. If, if, he, if his, if his uh, birth was not the result of the virgin birth. In other words, if his conception was not divine in origin, then he's no different than any other man in this room. And the Bible says that as in Adam, all die. And that that there is none righteous, no, not one. So there's no descendant, direct descendant from Adam who is without sin. And so if Jesus didn't come another way than through Adam, then he's not without sin. If he's not without sin, if he's not God, he's not without sin. If he's not without sin, he's not a savior. If you're drowning in a pool, you can't save somebody else who's drowning. Isn't that right? And so his deity is is critical. That's a, that's a truth that every person must come to believe. The sinner the, uh, or the doubter, the unbeliever, he doesn't know who Jesus is. But when a person comes to Christ, the thing that he comes to face with is that Jesus is God. That he is the son of God, but not, not a lesser than, a co-equal with God the Father. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when a sinner comes to Christ, he has to recognize that he's not coming to an ordinary man. He's not just coming to a religious leader to receive some kind of, uh, of new doctrine or new creed. He's coming to God. 
okay? So the deity of Christ is essential. But there's the, the other side, the other reality is though Jesus is God, he is also man. And modern theology has only lightly touched on the humanity of Christ. And to many people, to most people, and even most commentators, you know, and I have uh, scores of volumes of books of commentary, you know, uh, and when they write about the humanity of Christ, it's always in a sort of paradoxical or sort of, uh, of uh, a mysterious way. They marvel in the fact that he was God and yet there were times when he was hungry. There were times when he was wearied with his journey and there were times when he, uh, 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 you know, exhibited the, the traits of man and it seems to be something that's very difficult to understand. And so they sort of gloss over it or, or treat it in, in kind of a poetic way in talking about it. But the humanity of Christ is very, very important. And, and we, have to, we have to believe in who he was as God's son in order to be saved. But in order for us to do what we're called to do and, and to walk in the, in the Christ-like Christ-like life, we have to understand his humanity. And if we don't understand it, we'll miss out on all that God has for us as believers. So this scripture says that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, if you will go with me over to uh, Philippians, in the second chapter, in verse number five it says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery or like the margin says something to be held on to you know that's what you do when you rob the bank you hold on to to the, to, to the cash, right? That's, you rob it, you take it and hold on to it. It's kind of a weird uh, expression in the King James Bible. I don't know why the, the, the new King James left this in here because it's just so weird sounding. But what it means is that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to, okay? But, or instead, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, the expression there in verse seven, he made himself of no reputation. In the original Greek, it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death of the cross. When it says he emptied himself, what it simply means is that though he was God, he emptied himself or he laid aside, he willingly laid aside all of the attributes of deity, all of the resources, you could say it like that, all of the resources that were available to him as God's God, 
the Son of God or God, the second person of the, of the Trinity, all of the things that he could, uh, the powers and the authority and the, and the uh, uh, omnis omnipotence and omniscience, all of those things that go with God, he laid all of those things aside when he became a man and he humbled himself. He, he stooped down and stepped down into our life in order to walk among us as a man with no special abilities, no special, or I should say no divine abilities, no special, no divine attributes. And so everything Jesus encountered in life and overcame, he did not overcome because he was God. He overcame as a man who was in fellowship with God, who knew the Father as a son would know the Father. Everything Jesus encountered in his personal life, he overcame by the word of God, the same word we have. Jesus quoted the very same scriptures we quote. Now, he, they didn't have a New Testament, but he had the Old Testament. Jesus quoted from Genesis, right on all the way up through the, the, uh, the various prophets. He quoted the Bible. Every time the enemy challenged him, he used the word as his weapon. And we have the same word. The word of God will not work any less in our life than it worked in his life. So, well, I've used it before and it didn't work. The problem was you didn't believe it. It wasn't the, you said your amens are real strong till I said that. If the word's not working, it's because you're not, you don't really believe it. You, listen, you could say amen and you could say I believe it, but there's, there's, different, there's, a, there's a different thing in saying you believe it, wanting to believe it and really believing it. But when you act on the word in faith, there are results. And Jesus always got those results. Those same results are available to us. I said the same results are available to us. I'm talking about in our personal life. In anything the enemy would try to do in your life, you have the same resources that Jesus had. You do now in the new birth. You didn't before, but in the new birth, you have the same resources he had. And his resources were not necessarily resources that were his because he was God. He was a man who was authorized to speak the word of God. And you are too. So we know that Jesus became a man and we have the idea, a lot of times, you know, you see, this is one thing I don't like about uh, a lot of the, uh, of the uh, uh, art, you know, that's been created over the centuries. They, you know, you show paintings of Jesus and, and he's always got this kind of, of otherworldly look. You know what I'm talking about? He doesn't look like the other people in the crowd around him. He's, he's got this halo around his head and, and it's almost, you have the sense almost that he's sort of floating around, you know. That he's, Jesus didn't look like that at all. You say, well, you know what he looked like? No, I don't, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, he, he, when people saw him just walking somewhere, other than there were a crowd of people following him, he was obviously a very important person, 
But as far as his, his persona, he didn't look any different than any other man. Probably looked better than most men, you know, but probably looked better than Mark here. Get on the second row you get, you know. <laughs> but, but he was a man. And the reason that's important is as a man, he defeated the devil. He didn't do it as God. He did it as a man. He went to the cross as a man. He died for our sins as a man. He shed his blood as a man. It was holy blood because it was, he was not guilty of sin in that sense. But he redeemed us back to God as a man. Now, this is very important. We know this, that when God created man in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Let me, let me say this. Go back over to Genesis. I may be getting way ahead of myself in saying this, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw it out here. You can chew on it for a while. In Genesis 1, 26, we'll, we'll look at this in just a moment. Just find it. The restoration of man's authority. Let me back up just a little bit. Let's, let's go ahead and read verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let, notice he didn't say let us make Adam in our image and let Adam or Adam and Eve have dominion. Notice that's not what he said. He said, let us make man. That means mankind. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness and let them. So he's talking about the entire human race, everyone who would descend from Adam. He said, let us make them in our image and let them have dominion. So when God created mankind, he started with two people, Adam and Eve. He gave them and their descendants dominion, authority in the earth. The eighth Psalm talks about the fact that you know, David, he said, when I consider the heavens, the stars, and so forth, the sun, the moon, he said, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you would visit him? He said, you made man a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor, and you've put all things in submission to him and put all things under his feet. Well, that's what God did when he created Adam and Eve. He put everything under their feet he put them in uh, uh, dominion in the earth. We could say it like this. You have to understand how I'm saying it. Adam became the ruler of this earth. Or you could say he became God, little g, not big g, obviously. He's not God. But he became the supreme ruler of the earth. Man was to dominate the earth and be God in the earth. 
Now that does not mean that God, this is where, where sometimes people get tripped up. It doesn't mean that God was shut out because he had given Adam dominion over everything and so God can't do anything anymore. No, that's not what that means. In, in the first chapter of, of the book of Acts, we'll go over there, we'll come back to this, go back to, go, go to Acts 1. In verse six, it says, when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now these are times and seasons of man. He said that God has reserved, the Father has reserved certain things in his own authority. So when God gave authority to Adam, you know the one hundred and 15th Psalm or 116th Psalm, I think, says that, that the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Well, when God gave the earth to man and gave man authority on the earth, it doesn't mean that God didn't reserve the right to do certain things in the earth. Because you can see God's intervention. When man started messing things up, God intervened to a degree. He intervened in the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve messed up, what happened? God drove them out. He, he, they were supposed to stay in the Garden of Eden, but God drove them out because they, they, uh, they turned over the authority that, that he had given them to the devil. When Adam and Eve sinned, and the Bible says, the New Testament says that Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. In the temptation, Adam was not deceived. So Adam, with his eyes open, fully conscious of what he was doing, that he was disobeying God intentionally, he intentionally yielded to the devil. And when he did that, he virtually bowed his knee to the devil. He basically turned away from God and turned to the devil and submitted to him. Well, when he did, whether he realized what he was doing or not fully in this sense, the authority that God had given him, he surrendered it to the devil because the devil now became his Lord. And everything that, that was given to Adam, Adam surrendered to the devil. Now we know that's true because in the New Testament, it calls it call, the New Testament calls Satan the God of this world. Well, how did he become the God of this world? God didn't, God didn't make him little g, God of this world, little g. Well, it had to have happened in the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, when Lucifer, it was named more frequently used in the Old Testament, when Lucifer appeared in the Garden of Eden, he, he, he came in as a snake, he really didn't have any standing in the, among men. Now, he had a right to be in the earth, and that's another whole subject of what was he doing here and, and all of that, and where, did, where, where are all these evil spirits that Jesus cast out? And, you know, they're all around today, the same, same evil spirits. Well, where'd they come from? Another message, another series, okay? But they were here, and they had a right to be here. 
But God created a new order, the age of man. And Lucifer didn't, he couldn't just walk in and take over. He had to come in stealthily. He had to come in by slight and, and, and work his way in and first deceive Eve, trick her, get, start playing mind games with her. You know, his tactics haven't changed. That's still exactly what he does. He'll come in, he'll start playing mind games with you. Well, you know, you can go a little bit further. You can, you know, you don't have to be so holy. You don't have to be so separated, you know. It'll be okay if you just cheat just a little bit. Just tell a little white lie. Well, it won't hurt much. See, that's, that's always been his game. Well, he came in that way to Eve and deceived her and then she took of the fruit and gave it to her husband and he, he just obeyed with eyes wide open. And when he did, he no longer became God of this world. Satan became the God of this world. Adam was God, little g, ruler of the earth, in the same way. You remember the story of, of, of uh, Joseph and uh, Pharaoh? You know, Joseph had a series of mishaps, you know, Potiphar and all that. He ended up, you know, in, in, in prison under Pharaoh and Pharaoh had a dream and couldn't interpret it. And, uh, you know, the, the butler and the, and the baker story, you know, the dreams that had been interpreted. So, uh, you know, it was told to, the, to, the, to Pharaoh that there was a man in prison who could interpret his dream. So he called Joseph and Joseph came in and, you know, cleaned himself up and shaved and put on deodorant and everything, you know, and came before the king, came before Pharaoh and interpreted his dream. And Pharaoh was so amazed he said, I'm going to put you over my entire kingdom. He said, everything in my realm is gonna be under your hand except the very throne that I sit on. And everything, anything you wanna do, any decree you made, it's, you make its law throughout the kingdom. Well, that's much what God did. God didn't step off the throne and put Adam on the throne and make him God. And so, so in the realm of Pharaoh's realm, Pharaoh could always step in, you understand. But he trusted Joseph and Joseph ruled over all the realm, isn't that right? And, and there's a type in there. He was 30 years old when that happened, when he began to rule and reign. Jesus came on the scene at 30 years of age and began his ministry. So there's other things you could look at there that are, that are parallel. So Adam was the ruler of this earth and it was God's plan that it not just be Adam but that this dominion would be exercised by all of his descendants. But then when Adam sinned, Satan became the God of this world. Well, like, we've, like we have discussed before, there really wasn't any remedy, remedy for this among men because no man could turn that around. No man could put that right side up again. And people have questioned, well, well why didn't God just come in and, and straighten everything out? Again, God reserved certain, a certain degree of authority to intervene, but when God, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do? Has he spoken, will he not make it good? You know, in the New Testament it says God, it's impossible for God to lie. 
So God has to honor his word. And when he gave mankind dominion in the earth, it was his. And if he in turn gave it to the devil, he, Adam did not have the moral right to disobey God and to surrender his dominion to the devil, but he evidently had the legal right because it happened. You think about it this way. You don't have, as an individual, you don't have the moral right to disobey God. You do not have the right to disobey God. You do not have the moral right, but you do have the legal right. Because as a free agent, free moral agent, God has given you the right legally to, to sin or to not sin. To, to obey the word or disobey the word. You don't have the moral right to the choice because you're always wrong if you do it. <laughs> but you do have the legal right to do it. So Adam had the legal right to transgress and to turn the authority that God had given him over to the devil. And God, God is just and he's righteous and he's not a liar, and he will always do what he said, and he will always keep his word. Therefore, God, if he's going to be just, if he's going to be uh, above reproach, he has to honor his word even to his detriment. He has to honor his word even to what would seem like honoring it to the devil. Because if, see, if God came in and took that back, the, the enemy, the devil could say, wait a minute, that's, that's wrong. You can't do that. This was given to me by Adam. It's mine. Remember when Jesus was being tempted during the 40 days, when Satan appeared to him, he said, he, on one, at one, at one, of, one uh, uh, part of this temptation, says the devil took him up on a, on a, on a, a pinnacle, on a high place, you know, on a mountaintop. And it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said, all of this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I will. And so he offered it to Jesus. He said, if you'll bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. Now see, this is another evidence of the fact that Jesus was not operating as God, he was operating as man. Because I, I know, and this is where Bible uh, scholars many times miss the mark. Most uh, commentators that I've read, right there at that point, they'll say, they'll say Satan was offering Jesus something that wasn't his and actually belonged to Jesus. Well, if that's true, then it wasn't a temptation. I'm going to give you your SUV. I'm going to give it to you. Is that tempting to you? No, it's already yours. Is that right? When, when Satan offered Jesus the, the kingdoms of this world and the authority of that, that went with them and the glory of them, it was, and he said, it's mine to give and I give it to whomsoever I will. That was a temptation to Jesus in his flesh, in his humanity. Well, if it hadn't been true, it wouldn't have been a temptation. 
You say, well, maybe Jesus didn't know it. Well, if he didn't know it, then this was a, a good time for the Holy Spirit to have revealed it to him, and he didn't. No, Jesus didn't correct the devil. Jesus didn't say, hold on, buddy, wait a minute. Ah, that's not yours to offer. No, Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus resisted. Instead of, instead of responding and saying, that's not yours to offer, he said, no, the Bible says you shall worship the Lord your God and him shall you serve. What did he do? He answered with the word. But he didn't correct the devil because what the devil said was true. Now, if it wasn't true, then Jesus is a part and partner to a lie because he didn't correct him and, and the Holy Spirit left the scriptures like that with, with us giving us the impression that it's true. Well, it was true. So Satan had the, had the authority and had the dominion in this earth. Now, Jesus comes on the scene. He is, he is God, but he's God manifest in the flesh. He laid aside all of his power and authority as God, and he came into the earth operating on the authority of man. When Jesus cast out devils, he didn't cast out devils. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit was involved because he said he cast out spirits by cast out demons by the Holy Spirit. So there was, and again, that's not any different than what's available to us because we have the same Holy Spirit. Maybe not the, the same full measure that we have, but we have what we need. But when Jesus withstood the enemy, when he exercised authority in his own life, for instance, when Jesus would Remember when people would try to capture him and, and take him to the brow of a hill and throw him down? The Bible says he would just pass through their midst. I, I, when I get to heaven, I want to see the rerun of that. I just, yeah, that happened two or three times and I just want to see how, the, how cool that was. They're all, they've got him, you know, and all of a sudden he just walks free and they're just kind of standing there going, what? what? He didn't do that because he was God. He had laid aside all of that. How did he do that? He knew his authority as a man. When you're in trouble, you have the same authority. When you're in trouble, you have the same authority to walk right through the midst of it. To say, no, 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 I'm not going to suffer from this thing I have authority through Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus and by his authority, I'll walk right through the midst of this and I'll not be touched and I'll not be hurt and I'll not be harmed and I'll go to where I need to go and everything's gonna be wonderful. That's the authority we have. That's the authority Jesus operated. That wasn't the authority of God. That was the authority of man. God gave mankind that kind of authority. So Jesus was in the earth exercising authority. Now, when he ministered to others and exercised authority, he had the help of the Holy Spirit. What, what he did when he ministered to others and worked miracles and those kinds of things, he did that through the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, we've been empowered with the same Holy Ghost, same Holy Spirit. 
Amen? Praise the Lord. Go to uh, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse number 14. And he, Jesus, was casting out a demon. Are demons real? Yeah, they are. Jesus was casting out a demon, and it, the demon, was mute. So it was, in other words, this, this demon, when demons take control of people, full control of a person, that demon will make that person what it is, whatever, it, this demon was a mute demon. It was, a, it was an evil spirit and it was a it was a, a spirit of mute of 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 uh, muteness is that a word I don't know it was a mute spirit and when it got fully control of that person that person couldn't speak anymore and it says that so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marvelled they probably never heard him speak before. Some of them said he, Jesus, cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Boy. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, now he didn't know their thoughts because he was God. He knew, his, he knew their thoughts by the revelation gifts of the spirit through the word of knowledge. He said to them, everything or every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, because they said he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. He said, if Satan cast out, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, how do you, how do you guys do it? Well, they weren't doing it. Amen? They will be your judges. If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now listen, this is what I want to get to. He's talking about exercising authority. He said, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him and takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil... He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, who do you think he's talking about, the stronger one? He's talking about himself. 
A strong man, the strong man in verse 21 is the enemies, the devil. He's fully armed at this point. He's guarding his own palace. His goods are in, are, are in peace. See, Satan had a stranglehold on humanity and he was a strong man, but Jesus was the stronger man. And when the stronger man comes, he said, comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. It's exactly what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus overcame the enemy in his death, burial, and resurrection. There's a lot of elements to that. Go with me to Colossians chapter two. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter two. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Having disarmed principalities and powers. The, the, the phrases there, those words, principalities and powers, are, reference, are, are referring to different levels of spirit beings in the, in the dark spirit world. In other words, in the realm of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And it says he, other translations says he disarmed. He stripped off from himself and he stripped them. What did he strip them from? What did he strip off of them? He stripped the authority that God had given Adam, that Adam had surrendered them, he stripped that off of them. He took that authority back. Glory to God. He's the stronger one. And when the stronger one comes upon him, it says that he will, he will take the things that he trusted in, his armor, take it back. But he didn't just take it back. He divided his spoils with us. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Now, before we go any further, I'm, I, I, I'm gonna go back to Genesis 1 where I started to earlier. Go back to Genesis 1. I, I, uh, I remember back in the late 80s or maybe early 90s, during the summer, we would go to the beach every summer, Crescent Beach, late July, early August. And, you know, I had been preaching the authority of the believer even before I went to Bible school. I'd brother, read Brother Hagin's book on, it was called The Authority of the Believer originally. I'd read it several times, went to, to Bible school, and I'd been in the ministry for, you know, 10 years. And I remember this particular summer I'd gone out to the beach early that morning and taken my chair and I was out there by myself and it was in the middle of the week so there weren't a lot of people around and, and I was meditating on some of these things and though I, though I knew about the authority of the believer, though I knew we had authority, I began to get some, some 
insights into this. I couldn't put, I couldn't, I don't know if you can understand this. I saw some things in my spirit that could not register on my mind. I could not grasp what it was I was getting. Does that make any sense to you? And I remember it excited me so much. I jumped out of my, on the beach at Crescent Beach and I danced in the Holy Ghost. I mean, I threw a fit. I'm just right out there on the beach. Now, you know, there weren't very many people there, but there were people out. They probably thought this guy's just having a crazy fit over there. But it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have mattered to me at that time if it had been a 4th of July and it had been blanket to blanket to blanket all down the beach. It would have made, I'd just been stepping all over him, I guess. I got so excited about this and yet I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite grasp it with my brain. But I knew there was a level of authority here and something that, that God is wanting to get across to us. And just in recent times, I'm beginning, it's beginning to register on my mind and my mind and my brain a little bit. I'm beginning to see it. Oh, glory to God. I might just take off. This is what I started to say earlier. The restoration of our authority, of man's authority, is the greatest point of our redemption. It's the most important feature of our redemption. I, I would never, I've never said that before and wouldn't have said it. Look at this verse. We say sometimes, you know, well, it was the, the redeeming man from sin. Well, there's, we're not taking anything away from that. That's, that's all part of this process. We were sinners and, you know, if you remember what it was like to be lost and when you come to Jesus, oh, what a relief it is. You know, it's just, oh my goodness. You just, it's just like this heavy boulder on your back, you know, that you're carrying around rolls off and you're free and oh no, how wonderful that is. And it is. That's not the highest pinnacle of redemption. People have said, well, the real point of redemption was bringing man back into fellowship with God. That was the real thing. Look at this verse in in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make, now this is God's plan for man. This is why he created him. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have fellowship with us. Do what it said. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them be free from sin. No, he said, let them have dominion. God created us to have dominion. Sin entered the world through Adam, and then death through sin, and, and, and it got us evicted from our place of dominion. God's been trying to get us back to that place ever since. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus paid an awful price to wash away our sins. He paid an awful, horrible price to wash away our sins. 
and to, and to, to make us right with God and to bring us back into fellowship. But all of that has a purpose. All of that has a purpose and that purpose is to restore us in the place of dominion that God created us to walk in. And Jesus came here and he demonstrated authority every day. Again, it wasn't God's authority because he laid all of that aside. It was man's authority. Jesus was operating in the earth because he was born here. He had a right to have that authority. He didn't have a sin nature like Adam had and his descendants had but he was still completely a man, 100% human. And as, and as a man, he had a right to that authority and he operated in that authority flawlessly. But then the Bible says that he humbled himself even to the, to the point of death. He humbled himself and took on death. Oh, glory to God. In, uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians Two, First Corinthians two. Verse six says, "We speak wisdom among those who are mature." Do you have any mature people here today? Spiritually mature. We speak wisdom among the spiritually mature. He's not talking about natural age. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Now, what, what does that mean? The rulers of this age, he's not talking about, you know, uh, Herod and, Caesar, he's not, he wasn't talking about natural rulers. He's talking about the spiritual rulers of this age. Other places it talks about uh, uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world. It talks about uh, uh, the prince of the power of the air, the one who rules among men and spiritually. They're still ruling Jesus didn't overturn their rule on the earth among men. He took their authority back in the sense that they can't enforce it against a person's will. See, before Jesus come, came, no one could get out from under that. What Jesus did is he took back the authority of death the power and the authority of, the, of, of that, that Satan uh, held on to. Isn't that what Hebrews says? That it might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He, 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 he rendered him inoperative in that degree. He took that, that authority and power of death back. Well, Satan is still here and evil spirits are still here and they're still ruling among men who don't know. If they don't know, if an if a unsaved person, if, if, he, if he's unsaved, he doesn't know. It's because he doesn't know. That's why he's still unsaved. He's still in bondage. He's still being ruled by darkness. What he doesn't know is he really is free. 
But if you don't know he's free, can't act on it. If you're locked in a jail cell somewhere in the middle of the night, somebody came along and you were asleep and, and opened the door and it's pitch black in there, you're free. But if you don't know it, you're gonna stay on the cot and stay in jail. No, the doors have been opened. It's our, it's our job to tell people the doors are open. You can come out and you think about it. How much darkness people are in. You think about the most vile person you can imagine. Just think about the most vile, vile individual maybe you work with. Somebody that's just absolutely disgusting. Sinner person. Just hates God. Just vulgar. Just, you know. As much a hold as Satan has on him, all he has to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and there's nothing the de- I don't care how great a stronghold the devil has, there's nothing he can do to keep that man from being born again. I mean, he's just standing here all bound up by the devil and by one act of faith, he could say, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he came, I believe he's the son of God, I believe he died for my sins, I'm gonna trust him for my savior. Just like that, just step right out of, the, just step right out of that prison. The devil can't do a thing about it. Why? Because he no longer has the authority of death. He no longer controls that. Jesus took that back. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. But these these evil spirits are still here. They still have people in bondage. Our job is not to go beat them over the head with all of their sins and so forth. Our, Our job is to say, hey, you don't have to live this way. You can come out from that. Just just repeat this. Just say this after me (laughs) and believe it in your heart and they'll just come right out. Glory to God. So that's what it's talking about when it says these rulers who are coming to nothing. See, the time is coming. Their their days are numbered. Now, now we don't have a lot of real uh, uh, clear information on this in the Bible, but there's some things you just sort of have to put together. You know, two plus two equals four. Evidently, when God created Adam and placed him in the earth, it was for a season. There was, there was a time limit on this. Adam and Eve in, in the age of man wasn't going to just continue continue perpetually forever and ever and ever, you know, uh, age without end. The reason we know that is because we know what happens and and it looks like by all observation it's gonna happen soon. There's a big change coming to the planet Earth. Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna take the devil Satan and bind him and put him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And there will be no tempter. And there will be no temptation. And then after that period, he's gonna let him out for a little while so that all those people that have been born during that thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Jesus is gonna reign over this earth in absolute authority over all men. But there will be people born during this time, natural people that are being born. And you know, every man has a right to choose for himself. 
And at the end of that thousand year reign, Satan is gonna be loosed for a short while. We don't know how long, but just a short while. And he's gonna go out again to deceive, try to deceive the nations. And then at the end of that time, uh, uh, Lucifer, Satan, is going to be once again taken under custody and he's gonna be locked forever. He's gonna be cast forever into the lake of fire. Then there's a new heavens and a new earth. So listen, the, what we're seeing in this world, everything from Adam until today, right up through the, the uh, uh, rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and then the millennial reign of Christ, that's all under one age. And then that age is gonna come to an end. So these evil spirits are here and Satan is operating on the authority that God gave Adam and he's gonna continue to operate that, operate on that in the lives of those who are not enlightened, those who have not had their eyes open to, to the reality of Christ and been born again. He's gonna continue to operate in that until the day that, that Satan is bound. But in the meantime, you and I have been set free. We've been, yeah, the enemy's still here. There's still trouble in the world. There's still stuff that happens. The enemy even comes after us. We're, we're sort of like, uh, we've been delivered but left behind enemy lines. You know, we're still over on the devil's territory, but, but we have the truth. And we're not individually, personally, you and I are not under the devil's dominion anymore because Jesus took it from him and gave it back to us. Glory to God. But your neighbor, he's not, he's not enjoying that. And that's why, that's why God left us here. Not to torment us, but that we could go out to our neighbors and gather them in and tell them, hey, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be sick and broke and sad and, and defeated and depressed and, and full of the devil. You can be free. Glory to God. And when people believe it, they come right out of the darkness into the light too and they become a light. Glory to God. We're here to demonstrate the enemy's defeat. We don't have to defeat him. I don't fight the devil. I don't fight the devil. I fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight because it's, I'm assured the victory. Amen. I remember in, in a, as a kid, I, I got into some fights that weren't so good. Didn't turn out so good. But a fight, a good fight's a fight that you're sure to win. Amen. And that's just the fight. Of, I'm not talking about fighting the devil. I'm talking about the fight of faith. Doubt comes, I stand against it. Praise God. It's a fight and I can win. Every time I can win. I'm assured of the victory. Glory to God. But the devil, you think in fighting the devil, why would I want to fight the devil? He's already been defeated. Hallelujah. He comes against us. I said, no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. Glory to God. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I've rambled on enough this morning. Glory to God. Oh, we're getting someplace. I, I tell you what, like I said, I, I, I'm seeing some things about the extent the extent of our authority that we've not really, we've not really delved into and seen. 
I believe some of you are going to be up jumping and dancing and shouting when you see it. Glory to God. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.